So this morning we want to talk about God's amazing gift of intercessory prayer. I want to take you back to the, uh, to the December of 2009. It's about Christmas time. And I received a call from my son. My son says, Dad, I've, I've got the perfect present for mom for Christmas. It's a Weimariner puppy. <laughs> and uh, what, what do you think? What do you think, Dad? Now, our, our family has had a lot of history with Weimariners. Uh, two of our four kids have, have had them. We've, we've, uh, I knew them well. And they are hyper, hyper dogs. Uh, they're like Labrador retrievers on steroids. And they don't seem to emerge from their puppy stage uh, for about six years. I mean, most dogs, it's like two years. Weimariners, it's about, about six years. So my son went into um, sales mode. He says, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm making it real easy on you. It's going to cost $150. I'll go pick up the dog myself. You can pay me back whenever you have the opportunity. And I'm, I'm pondering this, thinking about this. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, Rod, don't, don't do this. Just say no. You know, go for a really chilled out dog, like a golden retriever or something like that. I'm thinking this, and Caleb says, Dad, Dad, what do you want to do? I said, all right, go for it. So money changed hands, and uh, we had the big reveal, the big reveal. And you'd have thought I was the biggest rock star in the world when I gave Cindy this, this, this puppy. This is not the puppy, but this is about what it looked like. Now, I will tell you that every week for nine years, at least once a week, my wife will say to me, you know what the best present is you ever got me? And she says it while she's holding Sadie. So it's pretty obvious what it was. The greatest present was Sadie. She is the gift that kept on giving. And she keeps on giving. Every, I mean, literally every week she'll say, thanks for, thanks for Sadie, for, not, for nine years. So I'm going to tell you that Jesus has given you a gift that keeps on giving, by the way. I mean, come on, isn't that like a nice gift that keeps on giving? I want to tell you that Jesus gives you a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, this is a gift that was present before you came to Christ. You've encountered it every day since you've come to Christ. It's with you throughout your life. Many of us Probably most of us totally take this for granted, but it is the gift of his intercessory prayer. And if you've enjoyed any good circumstances in your life, and you have, if you've enjoyed any protection from evil in your life, and you have, if you've ever claimed to have been blessed, and most of us would claim that we've encountered God's blessing, part of the reason is that Jesus has been regularly praying for you from his place in heaven. Jesus looking at your life, praying over you, praying for protection, praying for blessing, praying, interceding before the Father, he constantly is praying for you. This morning, I want to unwrap, uh, unwrap this gift of intercessory prayer so that you understand what it's like. To do that, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus' prayer life in general and then go to John chapter 17 and see specifically how he prays. So let's look at Jesus' prayer life in general. 
Throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus loves to pray for his followers. And we, we see that in Luke 6, verse 12. In these days, Jesus went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. And then Luke lists those apostles. Now, what I find really interesting about, about this is that this is a big choice. There were 12 tribes in Israel. Those tribes were designed to represent God in the land. Jesus is going to pick 12 disciples. Those disciples are going to represent God in the world. This is a massive decision. It's a big decision. So what does he do? He spends the entire evening in prayer. He engages in intercessory prayer in advance of choosing his disciples. So let's use our imagination a little bit. I want you to imagine that Jesus goes to this place. This is, looks a little bit washed out maybe from where you are, but that is the top of the mountain where Jesus prayed for his disciples. And down there in the distance is the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus spends all night in prayer. What is he praying for the entire evening? Well, you don't know for sure, but I would imagine he is praying for each of the 12 disciples that he is about to choose. Intercessory prayer is the means by which he chose those disciples. I don't think it's out of the bounds of possibility that he spent one hour on each of the 12. I mean, that would take you 12 hours from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Do you think it would be too much to spend an hour in prayer for each one of those disciples who's being about to be chosen? I, I, I think that's what happened. Once he calls the 12 and he names them apostles, he goes to a, a flatter place on the slope of that mountain, and he begins to teach his Sermon on the Mount, teaching the 12 directly and the rest of the crowds maybe a little bit more indirectly. Jesus uses inter intercessory prayer before the disciples are chosen. Now, I want you to know that that same thing happened to you before you were born, that Jesus prayed for you. And I draw that from 1 Peter 1 verse 1. He says, you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, there's the first person of the Trinity, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there's the third person of the Trinity, to obey Jesus, the second person, and be sprinkled with His blood. So before the foundation of the world, before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, because the world wasn't even in existence yet, the triune God was preparing for your existence in your place in God's kingdom. It doesn't specifically say that you were prayed for there, but isn't, is it too much to think that the, that the Jesus who would save you would bring up your name before the Father who would love you? You were, you were in the mind of God before you were born. So Jesus prays before the disciples are chosen, and then Jesus prays during the disciples' relationship with him. So here's the upper room in Jerusalem. Probably not the upper room, but a good example of that. And in the upper room, there is a conversation that Jesus has with, with Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, you know, when you sift something, you, you take the 
the whole grain and you lift it up in the air and the wind sifts the chaff from the kernel. And what the evil one is going to do is try to separate Peter's desire for faithfulness from Peter's will to do so. He wants to be faithful, but he's going to, he's going to separate those so that Peter is double-minded. And Peter says, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. My will desires this thing, and it's not going to happen. Jesus says, I prayed for you, intercessory prayer. I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I find that form of intercessory prayer astonishing. Because Jesus is, is saying, I'm praying for you. I know you're going to fail. You're going to deny me three times. But I don't want your faith to fail. So, you know, after you've denied me three times um, and turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. What Jesus is doing is he's interceding for the disciples. And what he's saying is this. I want you to learn to minister out of your brokenness out of your failure, out of, out of the heartbreak and the heartache of your life. And I'm going to pray for you along those lines. You know, how, would your how might your faith fail in the aftermath of sin? Well, our faith fails when we sin and believe God hates us. That's a failure of faith. Our faith fails when we sin and we start believing God doesn't love us anymore. That's a failure of faith. Our faith fails when we think God is so angry, we need to let him cool down a little bit. Like, God is so mad at me, I got to let him cool down for a couple of days because, you know, he, he can't stand being in my presence. That's a failure of faith. And when Jesus is, is interceding for before the Father with respect to Peter is that he would, in, his, in the aftermath of sin, learn to minister out of his brokenness. Intercessory prayer before they're called, intercessory prayer while they're with him, and intercessory prayer again after he rises up and goes to heaven. Here, here's one example, Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who is there to condemn you right now today? You, you, if you were a, a growing Christian, you'd say, well, nobody. Really? Really? What, 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 about, what about you? How many times this week have you engaged in self-condemnation? When people are, are honest with me about their self-condemnation, they'll, they'll say things They'll, they'll tell me, honestly, you know, sometimes I say bad things to myself. Call myself an idiot, a loser, a failure. I, I use profanity against myself. And here Jesus, Jesus is interceding for us in part that we would stop doing that that we would recognize that we are loved and cherished by the Father. He intercedes for us. Here, here's another example of his intercession. My little children, I'm writing these things to you 
so that you may not sin. Wouldn't it be great if we would never, ever violate the standards of God, much less our, our personal standards? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I, you know, I love this picture. This is a picture of a, a defense lawyer appearing before the, the judge and, and pleading the case of the person that he or she is representing. So what happens? You blow it, you descend into sin, and what, is, what happens in the, in the counsels of the triune God? The son comes to the father, your defense attorney. He says, Father, this is my beloved daughter. She's made a serious mistake. She's committed a serious sin. She knows me. She's received me, and I'm coming to you on her behalf. I took on the guilt of her sin and I died. She's forgiven, and I'm praying she would encounter freedom. That's the intercessory heart uh, within the triune God. And then I, we come to the best example of this, which is Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. I mean, so far in the verses about the intercession, we know He intercedes so that we won't feel condemned. We know that he intercedes after we've, we've sinned and maybe we, we doubt our status with God. But this shows the extent to which Jesus prays for us ongoingly in, in heaven. And I love what he says about this. First of all, Jesus intercedes. Okay, we have other verses that tell us that. But now it says he lives to intercede. The idea being that he loves it. It's not like he is praying, okay, Lord, I'm coming to you on behalf of Rod, who is, quite honestly, a little bit of a pain in the neck this week because of all the sins that he's committed, all the idiotic things that he's done. Now, that's not his heart at all. His heart is that he lives to intercede. He loves it. It's like, all right, I get to pray for Rod right now. I'm super excited about it. That's the idea. But it gets better than that because... He says he, he always lives to intercede. It's like he never, never stops being excited to intercede for me. It gets even better because it says because of his intercession, he saves me to the uttermost. Now, that's not merely salvation from sin, but he, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the salvation in terms of spiritual growth, that he is able to be transformatively involved in my spiritual growth because of the ongoing prayers that he has for me. So let's, let's, let's put these together. Jesus is an intercessor. He loves praying for you. And I just, I just want you to sit with that for a moment, that you have a resurrected Savior who delights in praying for you. Like, how much does that grip your heart? Do you ever just stop and go, wow, Jesus, I rest in the amazing privilege that it is to have you pray for me? A lot of us, we, we don't think about that. That's, that doesn't form part of our thought process when it comes to Jesus' work with us. As you sit down to pray, it's really important that you realize that the Son of God has already been actively praying for you. He lives to make intercession for you. Now, with that in mind, let's, let's turn to John chapter 17, because Jesus 
now prays for his disciples in the, in the whole chapter, but the first 18 verses are ones that are, are important for us right here. Um, and what we realize in Jesus' intercessory prayer is that there's a pattern to that prayer that we can use in praying for others. So I want to challenge you. The heart of the Son of God is in an intercessory prayer. I want to challenge you that your heart become a heart of intercessory prayer for people in your sphere of influence. So remember where the disciples are right now. They're, they're outside the city gates. It's night. They're crossing over the through the Kidron Valley up toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Once they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to pray to the Father, and He's then going to be arrested, detained. The trials are going to take place. And so this is Jesus' prayer prior to the time that He is arrested, praying for His disciples. And I'm discerning four ways that we can, that we can pray based upon Jesus' prayer. First of all, when you pray for others, pray that they would encounter God. Pray that they would encounter God. Here's how he begins. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you've given them, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What I want you to take just from those verses is the number of times the word glory is used. It's used five times there and six times in the entire passage. That is really important as we look at the central part of this prayer. The central part is this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what he's talking about there is that eternal life has already begun. I tell you this all the time. I delight in telling you this. You don't get eternal life when you die. Like, finally, I got eternal life. You get eternal life the moment you come to Christ. And the desire of of Jesus is that you would enjoy that eternal life right now, that you would live in it robustly, that you would encounter Him personally, and that you would enjoy His presence. But this verse is set in the larger context of glory. So part of what it means to know God is to encounter snatches of His glory. You think, well, what, like, like what does that mean? What does it mean to encounter snatches of His glory. Well, let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. A uh, number of years ago, we were vacationing with my parents and our children on the Outer Banks of North Carolina on Emerald Isle. And uh, one night, everybody was, everybody was asleep in the house. And I look out the window to the ocean, and the moon is, is rising up over the waves. Now, this is not exactly what it looked like. This is a rather stylized view of it. That's a very large moon in the picture. But that's the feeling that I had when I looked out the window and I saw that moon rise up over the ocean. It was a stunning sight. So I uh, get some clothes on, I walk outside, walk down to the beach, 
And I'm just thinking, Lord, this is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This is amazing. I walk into the waves. And by the time I'm waist deep, I'm thinking, okay, Rod, stop. (laughs) Like, don't walk any further out out here, okay? But I'm I'm looking up at this moon, and I'm just thinking, God, you are are incredible. You are amazing. Like this world that that you've made is filled with beauty and majesty. I felt, I felt glory in that moment. I felt glory the first time my daughter handed me Samuel Oliver and said, Dad, here's your grandson. I felt glory. Now, there's the glory that I saw in the sky. There's the relational glory that I felt when I, when I held that child for the first time. There's the glory that I felt when Cindy and I were able to spend time in a particular moment with our family where everybody was there. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm watching all 21 of us, four kids, four in-law kids, 11 grandchildren, and I'm, I'm thinking, God, you are, you are good. You are good. Snatches of glory. I felt a snatch of glory one time when I came back to the house. Nobody was there. And I had, I had two hours where I thought, I don't have to do anything for the next two hours. And I, and I just said, God, you are, you, are, you are good. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where the sense of glory came from, but it came. And part of what you're praying for is that the people that you love would know God intimately, have, have an encounter with Him relationally, sense His blessing personally. That is a very, very worthy thing to pray for. Here's a second thing you can pray for as you intercede for people. When you pray for others, pray that they would experience unity within the body of Christ. All right, here's the next section. I've manifested your name, Father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word, and now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. I want you to notice something amazing about this, that um, you have given them to me out of the world. It's like you and I have been called out of the value system of the world. You and I have been called out of the modus operandi of the world. We no longer, we're no longer in sync with those value systems, hopefully. I mean, positionally, we're not. But the idea is that I am a citizen of heaven. I may be a citizen of America. Great. Thank you, Lord. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm a citizen of the state of Oklahoma. That's really good. I'm a citizen of the city of Bartlesville. That's really good. But those citizenships pale in significance to the real citizenship that I have, which is a citizenship in heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is that these people, these disciples, are called out of that value system. And now Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. It's the idea that we're called out of the value system of the world. We're called into the body of Christ. And Lord, the the prayer, he says, Lord, let let them be one. Well, how unified is is that going to be? Well, as unified as the triune God is, Lord, let let there be a profound unity among people, members, in 
the body, the body of Christ. Um, you know, we, we have all sorts of diversity in the body of Christ. We have people of different language backgrounds. We have people of different racial backgrounds. We have people of different political orientations. There's all sorts of diversity in the body of Christ. So if unity is going to happen, it's going to have to be a supernatural thing where the, the focus on Jesus is so strong that those parts of diversity that may divide pale into a sense of insignificance, where it's all about Jesus. And I can enjoy you, my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, because my, I'm, I'm so oriented toward the risen Christ. I just want to tell you this is a really important thing to pray for, because I know so many people who've been so badly hurt by the body of Christ that they don't want anything to do with the body of Christ. And so when you pray for people that you love, pray that they would encounter unity in the body of Christ. Notice the order. The order is we encounter God first, and then we can be unified. It begins with that, that encounter with God. By God's grace, by God's grace, I will tell you that our family is very unified right now. Um, it's a unity that um, my kids, who are very diverse in terms of their orientations about things, have fought hard to maintain. And that's a joy for Cindy and I. But that becomes now a matter of intercessory prayer for us. Lord, let them continue to enjoy that unity. Here's a third prayer. Third prayer is that when you pray for others, pray that they would encounter joy. Pray that they would encounter joy. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made, may be made full. Notice that Jesus has joy. Jesus is the happiest person in the entire universe. The triune God is the happiest being in the, tri in, in the entire universe. Jesus has joy. He has happiness. He is exuberantly, joyfully happy. And so this this prayer is a prayer that we might encounter that joy. You know, sometimes we can't muster up joy because we don't have it. Sometimes people go through time, seasons of depression, seasons of anxiety, seasons of, of great pain. There have been members of our family who have gone through seasons of depression, anxiety, and great pain. And they can't muster up joy during those times. Sometimes that anxiety and that depression is is a, a biochemical response to something. Sometimes it is because of a sense of trauma. Sometimes it's a hormonal thing. I mean, sometimes we can't manifest joy. So this intercessory prayer is a prayer that members in our sphere of influence might encounter a supernatural joy that transcends what they can do on their own. I am sure that you, you know that uh, happiness studies are big in our culture right now. Harvard University's most popular course is their course on happiness. Same is true with Penn State University, Michigan State University. All these courses on happiness are exploding. But at the same time, um, suicides have been rising in our culture. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. So here we have this 
this explosion of happiness studies and the growing problem with suicide. People are longing for joy. People in your sphere of influence are longing for joy. And you serve them incredibly well when you intercede for them and say, Father, please give joy. Please give joy to the people in my sphere of influence. Okay, so every once in a while, I'll tune in to a show, Poldark, Downton Abbey. I don't really watch This Is Us that much, but very popular show. And one of the things I've seen in all three of those, and those that's just a sampling, right, is this hunger for joy and the elusive nature of it. It's a very valuable thing to be a person who has joy. Pray for the people in your sphere of influence that they might, that they might have that. All right, so far we've seen three prayers. First prayer is upward, a prayer to experience God. Second prayer is outward, it's a prayer to experience unity. Third prayer is inward, it's a prayer to experience joy. That leads us to the fourth prayer, fourth kind of prayer, and that is uh, when you pray for others, pray that they would discover their purpose in the world. Pray that they would discover their purpose. John 17, 14 through 19, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, like take them out physically, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Now, what Jesus is, is saying there is that our identity shifted. We used to be people who were of the world. That's the only place where we could get our needs met was the only place where we could derive a value system, the world. All right, we've been yanked out of that value system into a new value system that is one derived from God. So we're in a new value system. And what Jesus is, is, is saying uh, is that we might, we might find and discover our purpose in that new value system. So I want to I give you a diagram about purpose. And it's not original with me, but I think this is a really helpful diagram. And I call it the finish well diagram. On the left, you've got my God-given potential. That's on the vertical axis. Then on the right, you've got the horizontal axis. That's the time left to experience my potential. So here's, here's what my potential is. My potential is that I might be able to finish well. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Conformed to the image of His Son. That's the hope, is that you and I as followers of Jesus we could finish well. Do a lot of people not finish well? A lot of people don't finish well. A lot of people get sidetracked at some point in their life, and they vector off the path, and they don't finish well. And here's what that's, that looks like. What that looks like is, I know what's possible, but here's what's actually going on in my life. And there's this frustration gap between I know I could finish well, but here's where I am, and I don't like the fact that there's this gap between what's, what's possible and what's actual in my life right now. And that raises up the question, 
What do I do with the time that I have remaining in my life? A lot of people are asking that question. A lot of people ask me that question because I'm doing a lot of coaching. And people say, here's where I am. I'm frustrated. Here's where I think I could be. Here's the gap. How do I get to this better place? How do I get there? How do I get there? Well, part of, part of this is I, I need to know my purpose in life. I hope, hope, hopefully somebody's interceding for me that I discover that purpose. Well, wh- what is that purpose? Well, my purpose is that I might see myself as a sent one of the risen Christ. That's what Jesus talks about. My purpose is that I might live out that according to my God-given gifts and hopefully take into account my particular season in life. Remember, for many, many years, Cindy would say to me, you know, I have this aspiration to do certain things, but I got to immerse myself in these four kids, okay? So her season in life was immersion in the four kids. That's what she was called to. The point is, we need to have people in our lives who are praying for our sense of purpose, because otherwise, I'm telling you, it is so easy to get off track. Developmentally, people who move into their late 40s, early 50s, early 60s, and so on, they get tired, and they want to coast, and they make decisions that mean they don't finish well. We need people who will pray for us that we will discover that purpose. So again, here are four prayers. Upward prayer, Jesus, help my friend experience God. Outward prayer, Jesus, help my friend encounter unity in the body of Christ. Inward prayer, Jesus, help my friend encounter fullness of joy. And what does that move toward? Jesus, help my friend discover his or her purpose in life. So with that in mind, I want to give you some some takeaways. Uh, Three ideas for applying intercessory prayer. And I want to specifically use these during the Christmas holidays because you know, when you're around, when you're, the Christmas holidays, you start realizing the blessings that you may have and the pain that you may be, you may have. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about how you might apply this over the Christmas holidays. My first application is a really simple one, and the first application is keep a prayer list. Keep a prayer list. One of the things I was challenged to do in our prayer series in the fall is to redevelop my prayer list and to, to just tone that up so that I really make that highly specific to where I am right now in my life. So who should you put in your prayer list? Obviously, you want to put your spouse on the list. If you're not married, you, you put your siblings on the list. Um, you put your family first on the list. Jesus started with his disciples, his family. And um, so... Pray for them. And as your family begins to expand, your prayers for your family are going to become more expansive. Um, Who else should you include? Well, uh, include specific people whom God brings to mind. I remember for many, many years, you know, God convicted me, pray for the spouses of each of your four kids. And and I, I did that 
literally for decades, I prayed for them. Um, now I'm praying for the spouses of my grandchildren, and I'm praying that on a regular basis. I tell my, my kids that, and they say, oh, Dad, yeah, I, I need to do that as well. Thanks for the reminder. Thanks for the, thanks for the reminder. I would also include people that God brings to your mind. I'm preparing this message this week. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. The name Alistair Howie comes to my mind. Alistair is a corporate chaplain in Dallas. And 4.30 in the morning, I realized I was not going to be able to go back to sleep until I texted him. I said, Alistair, thinking about you right now, praying for you, hope things are going well. How can I pray more specifically? He texted me back by 6.30 with a very specific prayer request that was very timely to that experience I had being woken up to pray. So include people that God brings to mind. I was blown away that I'm, I'm preparing this, and I look at an old prayer list that was 30 years old, and Jeff Grisham is on the list. Like, we were at, both in Baltimore at the time. And so I'm, I'm just telling you, it's important that you, that you keep that list, but also remember who had been on that list before. Lists are good. They focus your prayers. Second takeaway is that your foundational prayer should be a prayer for transformation. It should be a prayer for transformation. I say that because of John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify, we don't use that much except in religious circles because it's, it's not a word we use in our culture. But to sanctify means to set something apart for specific service. And so when you sanctify something, you're, you're just setting it aside to be used for one thing. We have a dog pen for Sadie. It has her name on it. That's her safe place. Even if the door is open, she'll sometimes go in there during the day because that's where she feels safe and cozy, and that's why she, that's where she goes. So the idea about being sanctified in the truth is, God, I pray that you would transform this person in the truth of your word. So a lot of times, if I don't have much time, I'll say, Lord, today, I pray that you would sanctify Cindy in the truth. Your word is truth. And that's my, my brief, quick intercessory prayer. Your prayer should be a prayer for the transformation of the people who are in your sphere of influence. God, I pray that you would transform my wife. I pray that you would transform my kids. Lord, transform them by the application of the word in their life. So a lot of times, because these things require mentors usually, I'm praying, Father, please give my son a mentor. Father, please give my daughter a mentor. Lord, please give my grandkids mentors throughout their lives because mentorship and discipleship is usually the way that this kind of thing practically takes place. So that's, that's the second takeaway. Pray for, pray for transformation. Here's the third takeaway, and that is pray that people encounter joy in their God-given purposes. One of the reasons why I love living in the year 2018 is that we can measure things. It's easy to measure things. Like I wake up in the morning and I think, I wonder how I slept last night. 
look at my watch. Look at the app on my phone. Hey, I slept seven and a half hours. And I had three hours of deep sleep. That's awesome. That can work against me because sometimes I wake up oh, five hours and I had 30 minutes of deep sleep. Okay, but we can measure things. I love being able to measure things. Well, one of the great things um, that is taking place now is that there are, there are assessments that help you discern how you're wired and you can move from those assessments to purpose in life very easily. I usually do this with a Gallup Strengths Finder and with the Berkman assessment. I've had times where I met with somebody using the Gallup Strengths Finder and the Berkman together, and once we've, we've mapped out their specific um, configuration, tears have come to their eyes. And they've said, this is, the, this is the first time in my life that somebody has articulated what I'm really about as a person. And we go from there to purpose. It's really important that you are praying for the people in your sphere of influence that they would discover their God-given purpose. Why is it that so many people don't finish well? They've run out of purpose. Why is it that people who finish well sometimes finish extremely well? It's because not only have they discovered their God-given purpose at this season in their life, but they're becoming creative in how they bring that purpose into action specifically. It's really important that you, that you pray that people discover their God-given purpose. So there's Sadie Nan the gift that kept on giving. Jesus is the one who gave you the gift that keeps on giving, the gift of intercessory prayer. He prays for you before you come to Christ. He prays for you as you're growing in Christ. He prays for you from His place in heaven. And He calls you to a ministry of intercessory prayer. And I want to encourage you, seize that ministry during these Christmas holidays. You'll probably be with family that you haven't seen in a while. Pray. Pray that they would encounter God. Pray that they would find unity in the body of Christ. Pray for them that they would, they would discover uh, their joy in their life and discover their purpose in life. This ministry of intercessory prayer is transformative for you, the prayer, and is transformative for the people you're praying for. Let's stand for our closing prayer. Privately, there will people, be people at the front to, to pray with you and to, uh, uh, to just be with you if you need. So let's pray. Father God, thanks for the uh, reminder and the incredible gift that you've promised that you have prayed for me since the beginning of time. Since before I was born, thanks for praying for us as a community in Christ uh, since the beginning of time. Father, I just pray that you would remind us uh, of that on a, on, a, on a daily basis or a moment-by-moment basis and that we can rest in the fact that um, uh, you don't condemn us in our weaknesses, but you strengthen us through your spirit. 
Father, I just pray that you, we would uh, learn to direct our, our thoughts and our prayers um, in our sphere of influence and to uh, manage these uh, little ideas about how to pray and and how best we can interact with the people in our sphere of influence that um, would uh, tra- cause and bring about transformation in their heart and their spirit. Just, Father, I pray that uh, people around us would experience you uh, as a result of the prayer of the many. So, Father, just give us a great time in the holiday season and Christmas and and family, and if there's pain that occurs with that, Father, I just pray for healing, uh, pray for your spirit to move in our hearts. So, Father, thanks for all you do and all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.